Some people are just so far gone with this sentence, like they're cutting themselves, cutting their face, doing all sorts. There's people that have, since I've been in, when I was in jail, they've killed themselves and that. Like, it's serious. IPPs have got it hard, man. Earlier this year, we went to visit a person we're calling IH. He's an ordinary person, someone you might see walking by you on the street on any given day, except IH served a DPP sentence for 16 years. DPP stands for Detention for Public Protection. It works just like IPPs, but it was given to people who were under the age of 18 at the time of their conviction. IH is one of the few people who have appealed and is now finally out of prison and free of this type of sentence. I'm beginning to think increasingly that although I don't see how you get all these people through the court system, but there's more chance for individuals through the courts than there is politically. My name's Daniel Moylan. I'm a Conservative peer in the House of Lords. Lord Moylan has long been an active campaigner to end IPP sentences. I asked him earlier this year what he thought was the best route for helping the just under 3,000 IPPs who are still trapped in the system. I always thought that blanket resentencing, in effect, was going to be difficult to get that past the Secretary of State. But of course, if it goes for an individual going to the courts, it's got nothing to do with the Secretary of State. I'm not a lawyer, let alone a criminal lawyer, but I do think it's interesting that there have been some successful appeals. And I think the judiciary are quite sympathetic to this, on this issue now. The difficulty is that to get 3,000 plus people through the court system appealing their sentences would, you know, be quite onerous. But it is something definite to look at. With both the most recent Secretaries of State for Justice rejecting resentencing, it's no surprise that long-time campaigners have been looking at other routes. Political change has been slow coming for IPP prisoners, even with Conservative peers on their side and lives at stake. In the recent case, clearly this particular person, who I think was put down as IH in the court records, through legal advice, there's a, and then got a barrister, a uh, particular barrister at Doughty Street Chambers, who's done two of these now. And she took the case and, and it went. And it worked. Lord Moylan's comments to me put me on the trail of IH. I wanted to track him down and learn about his story, which is why I travelled to a small idyllic village surrounded by green fields and open spaces to hear more. I was in for robbery, like, I regret, obviously I regret what I've done. I've never ever went on to commit another violent crime since I got that crime in 2007. I never went on to do it. The only other conviction I've had was for drugs. I've never had another conviction. I didn't even know what IPP, no one explained it to me. Even when I got sentenced, no one explained it to me. Until I went to prison and they told me, yeah, this is what's going to happen. IH was 16 when he received his DPP sentence. Functionally, the DPP sentence is the same as the IPP, imprisonment for public protection sentence. You have to prove to the parole board you're not a risk to the public before they will release you. Talk about parole, I've never heard of parole. In and out, I've probably done like 12 and a half years, 13 years. I'm 31 now. The sentence did, obviously I'm not gonna say it did help me. It helped me a little bit because it made me realize that 
the sentence that I've got is very serious. So when I've come out, I've not went back to my old ways. So it's helped me in that way, but it's helped, it's not helped to, it didn't need to be that long. I didn't need to be in jail 10 years before I got out for the first time. I learned that lesson five years down the line. Fresh start and I got been given a second chance at life and like a lot of IPPs are dying for like, so I've been given a second chance at life and I want to take it with both hands. This is Trapped, episode seven. I'm Sam Asamadu, and today we're hearing IH's story and how the legal system has worked for this particular DPP prisoner. You're the first person I've come across ever in all the time I've been looking at IPPs who has had their appeal granted. How did that all come about? The girl that I'm with, basically, she was she was she was talking about it all the time. So I thought, you know, it's made me look into it, made me look into it. So I looked into it now. Obviously, I ripped around a few. Compa- um, solicitors' companies, made my mom and that Google the people that have been successful with IPPs, and then we come across obviously Natalie Shotter and um, Barrister Fata Arshad, Dorothy Street. Brilliant combination, them two together. They've been successful before. They've won. They've won cases before. So I thought, you know, it is made me try it. I started the process in 2021, and and it only ended in February. They always involved me, but you know what it is? I didn't really know nothing about appeals and all that stuff, so I just left it to the speci- to the specialists, really. They are the people that in the know. So I just left it completely to them, and they delivered. It was worth waiting for. And obviously, I still speak to them and that. Like, I was speaking to Farhat yesterday through email. So I just always thank them, you know what I mean, for what, what they've done for me. My name's Farah Arshad and I'm a barrister at Doughty Street Chambers uh, practising in crime and criminal appeals. I sat down with Farah to hear her side of the story on winning IH's freedom. How did you first become involved in the IH case and what was your first impression? What's interesting is when I remember when I first looked at his case, I thought he's going to struggle. I thought we're going to struggle with this appeal because I was aware of the case law and I was aware that if the judge had done certain things, it was going to be very difficult to to persuade the Court of Appeal to interfere. What I mean by certain things is, you know, had the judge looked at all material matters, had the judge applied the law correctly, and if so, ultimately the Court of Appeal would be of the view that it's a matter of discretion for the sentencing judge. The other difficulty we had is the sentencing judge in IH's case was a, um, what we call a red judge, a high court judge, and that is difficult because you're persuading, you're trying to persuade other High Court and Lord Justices, who are the judges that sit in the Court of Appeal, to overrule one of their peers, effectively. I mean, it's one thing to overrule uh, a circuit judge, which is still difficult, but it, it, it's entirely another to overrule a High Court judge. Uh, and so actually, my initial thoughts on looking at his case were fairly negative ones. It's clear that the court system is overstretched, With court closures and long-term cuts to court staff numbers, the backlog of cases waiting to be heard in the Crown Court currently stands close to 60,000. So it was long, I was on the phone all the time to Natalie saying, what's going on, what's going on? I'm thinking, I'm getting nowhere. Obviously, IPPs, we lost and all that stuff. And then she's like, just chill, just chill, we're on it, we're on it. And then I got the granting my appeal. 
if I was in their position, I'd find that incredibly stressful and, and, and worrying. But the system is set up in such a way that there's no resources, there's no money. You're, you're doing everything on a shoestring or, you know, on legal aid. And they won't allow, the legal aid board wouldn't allow for a meeting in most cases. So you never meet them. What was interesting in IH, because of the, his personality, we actually did meet over, I think it was over Zoom, or, because he insisted that we have a meeting. And I thought, I'll have a meeting, that's fine. And he's, he's such an engaging character. I mean, if you've met him, you'll know this. And you, you know. But sometimes that, that in itself can be difficult, because the way you do this job, the way you do my job, is you have to be you can't get personally involved, you can't get emotionally involved, you just have to see it as a, as a legal problem and a legal question to be solved. Barristers can't do emotion, we mustn't do emotion, we can't do our job properly if we do emotion. And so when I met him, I was like, oh no, I've got, <laughs> I've got emotionally involved. But you have to put that aside and focus just on the legal question. And usually in IH's case, I did meet him, uh, as I say, over... Um, the you know video link a couple of times and um, it was useful in that I was able to to ascertain certain really important things that I knew the court would be interested in. IH was lucky to have had the support of his family and his partner for his legal appeal. This support is not always available to IPP serving prisoners. Some have been inside for nearly 20 years. They may have had family members die or broken family ties and connections meaning their support networks have faded away. How important was it for you to have family outside or people that you could talk to? It's, a, it's one of the most important things here. It's one of the most important things here. The things that you look forward to. You look forward to your visits. You look forward to your, your little visits, your little letters, you know what I mean? Your little clothes parcels, your little postal orders. Like, you look forward to them things like... And you know, like it, it become it can become like crazy because you shouldn't just be looking forward to them stuff, a clothes parcel and thingy. Like, there's bigger things in life. Love, like, why is it just about things that you can get? Like, this is how the IPP sets people up, sets people up to look forward to things like that, materialistic things. Like, you shouldn't want. It should, should be about love. Wanting to see your loved ones, wanting a hug. You know what I mean? But all you care about is materialistic things because. It come to a point when I was on the IPP, I didn't even think about outside. I didn't think about nothing outside. I didn't care about anything outside. I didn't even think about it because you're so used to just being in prison. How's IH as the um, as the court date approached? He was very uh, proactive. Uh, he would ask for meetings, but we weren't always able to. Um, to meet in the, as on the dates he wanted. For example, uh, prisons are quite restricted in the in the video links that they can offer. And obviously, he was in prison at this time. In my reporting for this podcast, I've come across many families who have considered legal appeals to the IPP sentence. However, the prisoner has to be able to engage with their lawyer. IPP serving prisoners who have been locked up long after their original tariffs have expired have gone in front of the parole board numerous times and been knocked back. Understandably, they become hopeless that their indefinite detention will ever end, and many are psychologically damaged by the sentence. So engaging with authority figures after the system has failed them for so long can be hard. That day before, were you quite stressed? What were you feeling? I can remember, I can remember, I never slept in. I remember we got, obviously in the cell, we got 24-hour phone in it, so obviously I'm it called, I'm ringing my family, ringing this person, that person, and I'm thinking like, 
ringing my missus, ringing everybody, and I'm just, I'm just I'm keeping them up. But they was all going, they was going to London to the Court of Appeal, so I'm keeping them up, and they've got an early journey to do, so they don't want to speak. But I'm just constantly reading my papers. I'm thinking, nah. I'm thinking, I'm just taking all the negatives out of it, thinking I'm not getting this. But there's so much positives in the in the, um, the summing up what Far had done. I just was taking the little negatives out of it. Did you go to court for the for the judgment? My family did and that, but um, I was in I was on video link. We met on the morning. We had another video link on the morning of the hearing, and it was again. This shows you the position you can be in sometimes. I had to go and speak to him in a corner of Pret. Um, that I mean, this this is what you know. This is um, what we're dealing with here because I had to speak to him. The court wasn't open. If I'd done it from my uh, chambers, it wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have made it to the court in time. So there I am sitting and having to explain to him that I'm having. I mean, it was you know, it was quite, it was confidential, but it, it's not ideal. So. so you didn't have your wig on. Or didn't have my wig on at that time. I don't think he, he only saw me with my wig on in court actually. And then uh, I think you're allowed. To, you are allowed to have another short meeting uh, over the court video link just before the hearing. All criminal appeals uh, from the Crown Court happen in the Royal Courts of Justice building, which is on Fleet Street, fancy building where you'll, you'll always see press conferences outside. The day itself, from memory, it's February. It was February. Um, and uh, I'm very used to doing appeals. I'm very used to going to the Royal Courts of Justice. And, it, you know, it was a, a, a normal appeal day for me. Uh, the hearings themselves are pretty short. Uh, it was a two-judge court. Sometimes it can be three judges. It was the most highest judge. It's the highest judge that you can get in the Court of Appeal. Judge Hollywood. You can't get higher than him. The hearing itself went went very well because, well, actually, it's hard to tell whether a hearing is going well. It, what I could tell was it didn't go badly and that I wasn't being shouted at. But sometimes that can be difficult because you're making your submissions. I know what my submissions are and I'm going through them. But if the court doesn't give you a, an indication of their mind, which they do through questions, you just don't know whether you're on a hiding to nothing or you're doing really well. You actually don't know until they first say something substantive. And it was quite a while before they said something substantive, so I really didn't... Uh, I, the best way of putting it, I suppose, is I was flying blind. Like, you don't know. Are they with me? Or are they just going to say, go away? And sometimes they let you speak and don't interrupt you because they just want it to end. And so it's very difficult to know whether that's the situation you're in or they're with you. And if they're with you, obviously, they, they don't need to say very much. The hearing itself, for me, nothing I hadn't done many times before, but obviously for IH completely different scenario and from memory he was as I say he was on the video link in the court um, I've never been in that position so I just don't know how clear it is how much the appellant can follow how much they're involved or whether it all feels very uh, remote to them but for us you've got to understand for barristers it's just another day at work you know this is another court where it's another case and, and we're just presenting it to, to the best of our ability they disagreed with the court on our second argument was that it should have been an extended sentence, not an IPP. Well, that's it. I knew what that meant, and that meant IH would be going home that day. And it was absolutely brilliant. And so, in a way, it doesn't matter what else they go on. And, you know, I still made a note so I could explain it all to him. But it's absolutely brilliant. Once, and, and that's what's really interesting, because you sit there for minutes, and then, you know, three or four words are all you need to know that that's it job done so that that was brilliant because at that point uh, but really you just don't know which way they're going to go they don't give you any indication 
I was released that day, everything just went fast. I was released from that day and I've just not looked back. If the court declares somebody no longer held lawfully, they move as quickly as possible to get them out. And that, I hope that continues because it's really important. It's the same everywhere if you're acquitted um, after a trial. Everybody's got to move as quickly as possible because they're no longer being lawfully held. They've got to let them out. Uh, and so, yeah, I knew that he wasn't wanted elsewhere. He wasn't on bail. He would be released that day. It's true what they say. They say when you leave jail, you leave jail at the age you come in. When I was in prison, I, I had a qualification, but I didn't have really people skills. I didn't really have, I didn't know about job. I didn't know about bank cards and all that stuff. I've learned all that stuff as I go. They say prison's supposed to be about rehabilitation, but did they give you any education in there or anything that would help your life going forward? Anything I was doing was a tick box to get my parole. Your true learning is outside in the public, going to colleges, going to these places where everybody's the same, so everyone's just come there to learn and go. All them courses, if someone's going to change, they're going to change. The courses aren't going to change them. Finding lawyers to take on your appeal can be difficult. They must have the necessary knowledge and expertise in imprisonment for public protection. There are fewer and fewer prison lawyers practicing and legal aid has been decimated by government funding cuts. One of the difficulties is criminal appeal legal aid work is very badly paid, especially for solicitors. As a barrister, I can take direct access cases from prisoners directly or from anyone directly if they can pay privately. Now, as you can appreciate, most prisoners are not going to be in a position to pay privately. I cannot do legal aid work by direct access, so they have to go through a solicitor. Recommending and finding a solicitor for them to go through is very difficult. So, for example, Natalie uh, Schotter, her firm has now, uh, I think they've, they've gone into administration and she's gone to a new firm. But this is the problem. The, the legal aid field, field is, is under such pressure that that happens all the time. Firms go into administration, but it's a constantly moving field. And that's a real problem because I'm getting these queries now, but knowing who to re refer them to when it's, you know, firms are going into administration is very difficult. And most of the firms and most of the barristers, I have to say, who do this work, do it because it's the right thing to do, not because anybody's going to make a lot of money from it. And that is a real problem. A UK Association Prison Lawyers report from August 2023 said that prison law legal aid work is no longer sustainable due to the exhausting and poorly paid work undertaken by lawyers. The number of prison law legal aid providers decreased by 85% between 2008 and 2022. What does the massive decrease in prison legal aid lawyers mean for prisoners in the future? It is a real concern. Something needs to be done about the, the, the rates of pay because it, it, it has had an effect. It does stop people being able to do that sort of work. You made a number of suggestions to the Justice Committee on how to reduce the numbers on IPP prisoners. Do you think it is possible to get to zero IPP prisoners through court appeals? No. It's not possible, and I know that because there's been cases where um, appeals have been refused, and so unless there's a, re a wholesale resentencing exercise, you won't, you can't reach it just through appeal. Resentencing was one of the key recommendations made by the Cross-Party Justice Committee in the inquiry into IPP sentences. After the government rejected this recommendation, Sir Bob Neill, chair of the committee, said. This is a missed opportunity to right a wrong that has left nearly 3,000 people behind. 
There is now a growing consensus that a resentencing exercise is the only way to comprehensively address the injustice of IPP sentences. What can you imagine your life would have been like without having the sentence? My life would have been completely different in it. Like I wouldn't have like I was in jail for so long. Like I'm here now, living like and I'm doing things that I used to do in prison. I'm getting up and I'm thinking I need to go gym now. This gym time now, so institutionalization is a real thing, like it's mad like it's a real thing. I want to go bed 9, 10 o'clock. I don't need to. I don't need to go 9, 10 o'clock. But because you're, you're so programmed, you, you're still thinking. Even my family are saying, just chill out. Like, you can do things when you want to do it. You don't need to do it at that time. You don't have to go gym at that time. You don't have to wake up. But because I'm so used to it now, I'm doing, I'm, I do stupid things. Like, I'm trying to get out of that situation. I'm trying to get out of that institutionalization. Because, you know, it's true when people are saying to me, like, yo, you're not in jail no more, start acting like you're in jail, but it's because of, it's all I've known. I don't know out here. Do you think that judges are sympathetic to those appealing their IPP sentence? Most, in fact, probably all judges are trained lawyers. And I think as trained lawyers, when they're looking at these cases, especially the appellate court, I do think that they are sympathetic in the sense that it, it doesn't sit right. Because legally, you know, we're trained as lawyers, the restrictions on liberty, we're all very aware that restrictions on liberty are necessary. Of course they are in certain circumstances. But we're also saying that they've got to be proportionate. And one of the problems with IPPs is the disproportionate nature of them and the fact that the gap between the offence you commit and the punishment you end up actually serving, not the one you were given, but what you end up serving because of the indeterminate nature, there's just no connection anymore between the two. And I think... As lawyers, even the judges are of the view that that can't be right. I suppose there's very, there's very few other avenues, aren't there? Unless they get out, unless they persuade the parole board, um, the Court of Appeal is it. Um, and they're often dealing with a case where there's been many parole board hearings and they haven't persuaded the parole board. So uh, I, I would say that the Court of Appeal are very aware of all those things. It's well documented now and they're very aware when they look. But ultimately they have to apply the law and they have to apply the statutory test and that's what they do. At the moment, there's still people who are given an IP, or a DPP between the ages of 15 and 17 who are in prison. There's 92 people who are in prison and then 75 on licence. I mean, what would you say to those people about what they should do to get out? Firstly, just try and get out of the way through the parole board. That's probably your best chance of getting out of prison. But secondly, you also need to look into finding you find a good solicitor good you first need to find a good solicitor that's got a link to a barrister because you can't go straight to a barrister so you re you realistically need to find a good solicitor the process is going to take a good it's going to take a good year year and a bit so it's not a quick fix so don't make the sentence break it like it's breaking a lot of people just don't make it break it just there's a nice world out here man like there's a nice place out here there's everything out here so you know just keep driving towards the goal of getting out of prison like because when you get out there's so much opportunities out here there's loads of opportunities out here my case don't have to be the only one there can be many more cases hopefully i've set a precedent where people can get it now they need to just read about my case and i'm the last ipp so people that want to go down that route can look what the last ipp is and can know my name and go through that way and know what grounds they can get
Considering there are many hurdles and potential delays for IPP prisoners seeking freedom through the courts, I asked Farah how she thinks political change could be brought about. People don't do anything until they do. And so whilst so far people haven't taken the ball by the horns, I think also momentum builds up and it gets to a point where actually if the public say, hold on a minute, this doesn't sound right, then politicians get involved and change their minds. And, and often, from a politician's point of view, it's what the public says, not what lawyers say. In fact, that's frequently the case. Um, they're not that interested in what lawyers say, they're more interested in what the public think about something, I think. So the pressure perhaps has to build, if it's political change, it's got to come from, from the public rather than from lawyers. All we can do as lawyers is point out the problems with something and then whether there's political change is not not up to us. This is why it's important that the legal system operates outside of public pressure. Of, of course it's important what the public thinks of it, but it's got to operate outside public pressure. And, and so, yes, we're talking about, well, you know, will it ever change? Well, it might if, as I say, there's enough head of steam over, is this right, that all these people, and often people very young when they go in, are wasting their lives when they don't pose a significant risk of serious harm to the public. And even if they, they may never have, and even if they did, they don't now. Now, if that catches the attention of the public enough, then things might politically change, as I said earlier. But, it, but it's that, isn't it? It's... it's changing people's minds about what's going on, that this isn't necessarily about protecting the public. It might just be that it was a system that, that was perhaps not thought through as well as it should have been and therefore things went wrong and now's the time that we fix it because that's the decent thing to do. In the few short months since winning his appeal, with family support, IH now has a home and is in work. He is adamant that the IPP needs to end for those who are still trapped in this never-ending sentence. A lot of these people that are serving the sentence are, not, are just barely touching 30, some of them, so they're going to still be in the system for another 40 years, potentially. It just needs fixing. Just fix it. Just fix it now. So we're just walking out the door um, of this brilliant interview. Thank you, Ferret. Can you tell me, do you still keep in touch with IH? He has emailed me a couple of times, all, you know, always very respectful, always very nice. And, and just, he says, Farrah, how are you doing? I'm just keeping in touch. And um, first one, I was just overwhelmed with work and I didn't reply. And the second one, I thought, no, I should reply. And I uh, said, I'm all right, how are you doing? He said, yeah, I just wanted to see how you were. But there was then, I hadn't been in chambers for ages. There was a parcel on my desk and it was a little box. And I thought, what's this? Um, so I opened it. Now, normally what I get is just work stuff and it's not very exciting. And I opened it and it's a mug. And I think someone sent me a mug. And, and it says, Farah, you saved my life. I don't think you realise what you did. And, and then I didn't even, I mean, it was overwhelming. It was just absolutely overwhelming. And I turn it around and it says something like, um, I don't even think you realise how good you are. You really did. You saved my life. And it, it, it was just the most amazing thing because, you know, as a lawyer, people might say thank you, but that's about it. You don't expect anything more, and, and, and I don't expect anything more because uh, I, I just do my job. But I put that mug on my desk and, and, and I leave it there so that when work is hard, which it frequently is, it's a reminder that what we do is important and, and makes a real difference to people's lives and made a real difference to IH's life. So I say thanks to IH for reminding me why I do what I do. This whole part there, man, this whole part there, I, I was in a position where probably 90% of IPPs are, like, stressed, like, not knowing where life is, and now my life's completely changed, so there is hope out there, so obviously these people that are caught in themselves and all that stuff, like,
try and stay away from that because you know what it is like there is hope out there get the right people around you there's hope it's so great to be able to report on IH's story and the hard-won freedom he has now. However, there are still thousands of IHs trapped in a system, and as Farat says, it's unlikely they can all be released via the legal route. But perhaps the much-hopeful change may be in the air in the political arena too. Following an initiative run by IPP campaigners to gain support for their cause from the UN, in September 2023, Dr. Alice Edwards, the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Torture, released a statement saying she had written to the UK government unequivocally condemning the IPP sentence. The distress, depression and anxiety caused by this scheme is severe for prisoners and their families. For many, these sentences have become cruel, inhuman and degrading. They've been acknowledged by successive UK governments and even described as indefensible by a justice minister. Yet they persist. The knock-on effect has seen mainstream news outlets like ITV and Sky News report on what they've called torture sentences. This is an important step towards changing the narrative on IPPs and will hopefully put pressure on the government to make a real change. We'll be going behind the story in a future episode. If you want to get in touch, you can find me and the team on X, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or TikTok at trapped underscore pod. If you want to do something, you can tell a friend to listen to this series. Knowledge is power and the more who know, the harder it is for injustice to take place. If you want to do something more active, you can write your MP and tell them to raise questions about IPP prisoners in Parliament. To keep up to date with the Campaigns for Justice, search the hashtag JusticeForIPPs on social media. Please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and stay tuned for a new episode dropping soon.